Hello and welcome to the first Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is Dan DeFrancesco and I'm the Deputy Editor of Cellside Technology. I'm joined by Anthony Malikian, U.S. Editor of Waters Technology and Waters Magazine. So what we're looking to do here is Anthony and I have talked for a while. We're both big fans of podcasts. We both listen to a lot of podcasts that are out there. We know it's a popular medium and we want to connect with our readers in as many ways as possible. So we thought it'd be a good idea to put together this podcast of ours. Um, we're looking to do it weekly. We want to get as much feedback as possible. We want to grow it as much as possible, hear what you like, what you don't like. So we're going to give it a run. Don't want to take up too much of your time, maybe 10, 15, seven, however many minutes, just on the subway while you're walking to work. Hear a little bit about some of the biggest trends in technology, and uh, then we'll send you on your merry way. So let me first introduce myself. I've been with Waters since... August 2014. I was brought on as a uh, as a reporter. Didn't have too much background knowledge on the uh, the topic. If I'm being honest with you guys, I was a sports reporter at the Journal News before that for two years. Um, if you're familiar with the areas, I'm sure a lot of our readers are living in Westchester, Rockland County. Covered a lot of high school sports and college sports and a little bit of professional sports here and there, which is an interesting tie-in as I introduced my co-host. Anthony Malikian, who also spent a ton of time at the Journal News. Anthony, how about you tell a little bit about your journey to uh, Waters? Sure. Six and a half years here now at uh, working for Waters, and uh, it was my genius that uh, was able to find you, and before that, uh, Tim Murray and Jake Thomasis, and now uh, we have Elizabeth Wu, um, but uh, yeah, sports reporter originally, then went and covered the banking sector for U.S. Banker um, before moving on here about six and a half years ago. Perfect. So we talked, weren't sure how we wanted to start the podcast. There's a couple different routes we could go, but we figured Anthony and I are both practically literal geniuses. So why not start with two pieces that we wrote about our own opinions? So, so I'll start with my opinion piece this week, which looked at a, uh, it was actually based off of a, a New York Post story. Yes, a New York Post story. It's breaking some big uh, financial financial news, financial technology news around Bloomberg. So this came out uh, about a week ago. It's by uh, Kevin Duggan of the New York Post. And essentially it states that Bank of America is looking, can basically uh, close out on their Bloomberg deal. Essentially back in 2008 when Merrill Lynch uh, sold 20% of its uh, stake in Bloomberg back to Bloomberg. There's basically a deal that for eight years, they couldn't reduce the amount of Bloomberg terminals they had in their offices. Uh, in July, that deal will end. And I kind of just look at just the state overall of Bloomberg, Bloomberg terminals, because what I say in the piece and what we've heard, and you know, I'll get Tony's take in a second, is that you hear all the time we want to reduce the amount of Bloomberg terminals. We want to reduce the amount of Bloomberg terminals. It's $21,000 a year per user per terminal. It's a huge fee. Granted, nothing against Bloomberg terminals. I've always heard great things, but I've also heard that it's a game of qua a quant quality, no, quantity as opposed to quality. There's a ton of sources. There's a ton of different features that are on the Bloomberg terminals, but they're not necessarily used by the traders, the people that are using them. It's either, either instant Bloomberg chat or it's, it's very much singled out. So what I compared it to in my column was cable television. You talk to a lot of people, especially people my age, cable TV, I know my bill with internet and everything I believe is about $160 a month. And a lot of people 
are looking at ways to cut down on that. And now with Hulu, with Netflix, with these league passes that you can buy, essentially you can you can cut out your cable bill because what's the need? I don't need you know to I don't need to subscribe and pay for Time Warner when I can just get all these shows anyway through streaming services. Now, and what I get back to, and this kind of gets back to the Bloomberg analogy, is what's keeping me there is live sports. There's not really a good way around live sports. You can't, I don't believe at this point, you could subscribe to ESPN or there's any ESPN service that you can pay for outside of the cable. And that makes things difficult because there's so many live sporting events that I like to watch. So it's, you eat the cost even though you're only watching a fraction of the challenges that are available. Now I know Anthony knows a ton about this because back in the summer he did a great feature about Symphony, which also we can get into, which gets into this whole thing and uh, and their battle kind of going up against Bloomberg. So Anthony, what are your kind of takes on this whole, the Bloomberg terminal, kind of the death of the terminal? What, what, do, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think uh, to your point, it's correct that obviously, you know, firms are always trying because $21,000 a pop uh, per user, according to reports for subscription to Bloomberg. So, you know, if you can even lessen that reliance even a little bit in the middle back office, say maybe your traders up front are going to keep it, but, you know, that there are certain middle back office professionals or some of the traders on the desk that don't quite necessarily need it for their operations, you know, it makes a significant dent if you can just even get rid of a few of those contracts. Um, I couldn't help but think uh, back to a book, uh, Dark Pools, by Scott Patterson, and he had talked about how stalwart exchanges looked at ECNs and thought that they would, you know, never be able to take business from them, that they, that the, you know, that those old exchanges, New York Stock Exchange, stuff like that, that they would just run the day forever. Uh, flash forward a few years, and they're the ones that are buying ECNs to, in part, get rid of their trading pits and electronify their operations. So I think that with any kind of technology, you have the original built, the, the true genius, the, two, the true, wow, this is a game changer technology. But then there's that spectrum where, all right, there are viable options, cheaper options, and you're not going to miss out so much on the strongest features uh, that are there, say, with an iPhone. You know, iPhone, if you didn't, you know, there were so many other options that you could go from a personal, everybody had a Blackberry, but an iPhone was always just the strongest, best piece of uh, cellular equipment. For me, I, I will, I'm still an iPhone fan, but plenty of people now have switched over to Samsung or whatever have you. I, it'd be interesting. I, I, maybe I've just been this too long, but I just I don't see traders willingly giving up their Bloomberg. And so when you have a huge institution like Bank of America, like J.P. Morgan, I would be very very surprised if there was any real headway in this in the next couple of years. But then again, I kind of also feel like the people in Scott Patterson's book saying, yeah, no, the exchanges are going to be here forever. These ECNs aren't going to work out. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Obviously, company like Symphony and a few others um, that are coming into space to try and first displace instant Bloomberg. Who knows? Maybe the next three years will be interesting to see uh, how uh, Bloomberg models change and how they kind of react to these changing times. Yeah, no, I, I, kind of, I tend to agree with you, I think, at the end of the day. It's not going anywhere. Just like I think, you know, and people will disagree with me. I don't think cable television is going to go go anywhere. I think they'll evolve. I think they'll adapt. I think think they'll find a way to survive. But you know, you talk about growth, and it brings up an interesting point. When I tweeted out the story, uh, I had one follower tweet me, you know, that they agreed with it, and they said, 
look at how many terminals are being bought. How many terminals do you think are really being bought in emerging markets? Which is a good point. How you know these a lot of these areas maybe where the, the markets aren't as big, the money's not as much there. You know, the traders that are accustomed to it and grew up with it, yeah, they're gonna want to stick with it. Maybe these newer areas, are they really gonna want to pay in $21,000 for a subscription, or is there gonna be a, a, a shift away from that, and how much will that really impact Bloomberg? I don't know, they have a lot of money under their belt. Like I said, the the, the, the banks are so bought into it, I don't know how much it'll really change, but it's an interesting thing to look at, it's an interesting things to talk about. Uh, to that point of interesting things to talk about, Anthony's piece was around big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond, essentially. And he looked at uh, the uh, the cover story for the January issue, which I did on uh, Mike Madigan from WH Trading, who was essentially a, a tech guy, um, the, the CTO at a smaller firm, very hands-on, um, very much involved in the tech build across the board, and kind of compared that to some of the work that we're seeing at other firms where maybe it's more of, you know, you're there, you kind of put your hours in. So, Tony, I think you'd be best to kind of describe your point and talk talk about your piece first. Yeah, I think that uh, there were two quotes that I jumped out at me. So first from your profile, which is very good. I thought that the lead was excellent, very entertaining. Um, so Madigan had said, uh, quote, our developers come out and sit here with the traders and talk about the features they want. We have a meeting every month with the two main owners where we sit and talk about what we want and need and the problems the traders are having. There's a direct connection, a very open channel between the developers and traders. I think at the end of the day, we get a better product, and that really gives these guys the functionality that they want. So, you know, Madigan building it from the ground up, you know, really it's his little baby. It's, it's something that he's seen grow. Uh, there's a vested interest there, and uh, that's got to be, I would imagine, exciting for him to see things do well, and it becomes worrisome, obviously, when things go off the rails, I'm sure. Um, then flash forward to John Brazier's feature, uh, looking at the challenges of sunsetting legacy systems, and he quoted uh, John Shea of Eaton Vance. Uh, I've spoken with uh, John Shea many times, and he's as smart of a guy as I've ever known on technology. Uh, he's a former submarine officer and nuclear engineer, so, you know, guy knows his stuff. And what he said, his quote was interesting. He said, when I started this job nine years ago, uh, we had a lot of homegrown development that focused on consolidating through off-the-shelf technologies. I told the entire division when I first started, and I still say it, that if you want to be a software developer, you need to go and work at Google. And so you just, I'm a bit tired of the story about the attracting talent acquisition kind of uh, story because it's been written so many times. But you go to any conference, and that's what CIOs and CTOs want to talk about because it is still a massive challenge for them. So I, I just I'm interested. That, you know, I don't think there's a right answer here. I think that you know your your end result will prove whether or not you're right or wrong in this. And I don't have the information to know whether or not you know uh, one's right or one's wrong in this in this regard. But for me. Um, I'd rather be right there, you know, in the nitty gritty of it, you know, working on constantly new complex things. It's not to say that that's not what's, what John Shea was saying. It's just that he wants to have a lot of that development work. He doesn't want to have a, a hodgepodge of different programs running throughout the organization that becomes a big cluster. And I understand that. Um, I don't know. I, you know. Is it better to work for a very small shop like WH Trading? Would you rather work as part of a bigger team? Uh, 
I'd be interested to see in today's day and age as we're trying to, as this industry is trying to attract industry from Google and Amazon, you know, how are they actually succeeding and what are, what are the selling pitches? To me, it would seem like you're going to have a better pitch if you say, yeah, you're going to come in here and you're going to have a lot of free reign to, to do what you want to do. Um, for me, you know, I'd like to write about the ideas I want to write about instead of being told you have to write about this, you have to write about that. So I'd be interested to see how that evolves. Yeah, I think it's an interesting discussion. I think it's an interesting debate in the industry because, you know, when I was out in Chicago and I spoke to spoke to Mike for the story and I got to, you know, kind of tour around WH Trading's offices, you know, he knows everybody. He's walking around, he knows the traders, he knows the founder, he knows the receptionist. He, it's very much, everybody knows, is, is on a first name basis with everybody, everybody knows everybody's kids, everybody's joking around. It's, it's a very much in-touch, in-depth uh, group. You know, and then you go to a bigger organization and, and a bigger firm and it's, you know, and I've interviewed guys at, at large, very large firms, and you don't necessarily get that feel. So, but on the other hand, you know, a big thing, and this kind of isn't as much in the tech, but the stability, I mean, Mike loves his job, but as you said, it, it's on him. If something goes wrong, it's on him to fix it and he's got to be there and he's got to get right into the nitty gritty of it. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, the proprietary trading shop, you know, things can fold very quickly. A bank isn't going to fold very quickly. So I think it kind of comes down to the type of person you are and what you're looking for and just what's in your very nature. Uh, but I think it's an interesting debate. I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. You know, it goes back to, you know, we, we both love sports. It goes back to if you're a big time recruit, do you want to be, you know, the first guy off the bench at Duke, you know, on the basketball team? Or do you want to be the star at Creighton? You know, it's kind of what what kind of makeup do you have inside? There's pros and cons to both. There's, you know, you, you can kind of debate both sides. It kind of just makes up what kind of person you are. For me personally, I think, you know, I kind of go back and forth because I do like the structure and being part of a bigger organization, that kind of team feel, but also kind of being the star, kind of being out there, having a lot on you. I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. Uh, speaking of stars, we like to talk about technology and stuff, but we got to like to talk about the pop culture. Anthony and I are very much interested in things that are going on in the world and different topics. And one thing that couldn't be hotter right now is Making a Murderer, the Netflix true crime series. It uh, seems like everywhere you look, everyone is talking about it. I was just for the, uh, the February cover story, which is on uh, SCC uh, CIO uh, Pamela Dyson. Uh, she mentioned how she loved Making a Murderer, ran through it in two days. So everybody, C-level execs down to puny journalists are uh, enjoying the series. So I bring up Making Murder. Um, I assume most of you watched. If you haven't, stop listening now. This is your spoiler alert. If you haven't, what are you doing with your life? Because it's, it's a fantastic series, a very interesting series. Uh, but I bring up the point because Anthony actually pointed out a great article in The New Yorker uh, that ran uh, recently by uh, Catherine Schultz uh, entitled Dead Certainty, How Making a Murderer Goes Wrong. And basically it looks at how the, the series isn't necessarily a true documentary. It's very one-sided. It doesn't necessarily show the other side of the story. And it kind of brings up a lot of topics. And uh, Making Murder, I feel like it almost has gone into the realm, and you can agree or disagree, of you know religion or politics. People are very strong-willed on how they feel about Making Murder. I've gotten into very 
interesting arguments with a lot of my close friends. He was innocent. He was guilty. How can you trust the cops? Blah blah blah. So I guess to start. What what's, what's your take on the the entire series? How it was how this how the whole thing was portrayed, and then the actual case. Well, I like that just the way that the article was laid out, and it really kind of gets to think, but. I don't think that making a murder is as true to investigative journalism as, say, Serial, the popular podcast, uh, was. So I, I think that the problem there that, that they kind of find themselves in is that this is an outlier. Uh, so this case, if you watch how they present the evidence and everything to say that he's innocent, it's more about this, you know, oh, he was innocent, but uh, they were going through all these different ways to frame him. You know, that the cops were going through all these different ways to frame him. Whether or not you believe that that is what happened or didn't happen, that is an outlier. That's not usually how, you know, these mistakes happen in trials where somebody's wrongly convicted. So if you were really setting out in, with an investigative journalism piece to say, here's a problem with our criminal justice system and here's how we have to fix it. I don't know that this necessarily goes about that. This is just showing one sensational case, which is fine. You know, it's entertainment. But then as she also makes the point, you're using entertainment with somebody who was murdered and her family, you know, is still out there, still has to deal with with that loss every day. Um, so what are the morals, the ethics of it? I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, for me it was engaging for the first few episodes, and by the end I was like, "All right, I, I got the gist. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, it, it, it was good, but it kind of wore off of me." And then as I read up more on it, I don't know, I lost my interest. Yeah, I think you bring a, up a good point about you know using this as entertainment. It reminds me in the uh, in the piece she uses for you talk about serial. The uh, the brother of the young woman that was uh, that was murdered. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. But the brother I apparently wrote on a, a Reddit post. People kept talking to him. You know, I, I don't want to talk about this because this is real life to me. This is a podcast that you listen to for 40 minutes a day, once a week, on your way home from work or when you're at the gym. For you guys, this is my sister. This is someone that is dead. So I, I think that people tend to to uh, uh, not realize that. So, you know, I, I, I think the like you said, I think the biggest thing about this piece is about making a murder is that it's a look at the justice system. I think it's a look at the, there's flaws in the justice system, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Another time. So we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, before I let you go, please reach out to us. Uh, you know, you can find our email addresses pretty easily on our website, but uh, you can tweet at me at Dan DeFrancesco, D-A-N. D-E-F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-O on Twitter. Uh, Anthony, what's your Twitter handle? A underscore Malakian, M as in Mike, A-L-A-K-I-A-N. So please reach out to us. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like. And uh, give us some feedback for things you'd like us to touch on in upcoming episodes. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, find you back here on, uh, on Thursday. So thanks so much.